Look, Dad. The man's got some old programs. Shut up and just get in the queue. But I'd like to... Do you want to slap? You're lucky to be getting today's program. Jeez, look at the state of this hut. Right. Next. Oh, hello, young man. Today's program you're after, is it? Lovely. That'll be ten pence. Thank you. Is this your first match by any chance? I can usually tell. Yes, mister. What's your name? Gary Carpenter, mister. Well, you wait there a moment, Gary. I've got something for you. Let's see. Yes, here you are. You can have this. It's a programme from four years ago, March 1970. It was only Hull City at home. But do you see that photo on the front? That's Watford scoring against Liverpool. Wow, Watford have played Liverpool. In the FA Cup. And we beat them too. 1-0. That's Barry Endine heading the winner. It was a very special day. And from today, you're supporting a very special club. Come on, Gary. You bought your programme. Can I keep this, mister? With my compliments. Come on, Gary. Ow. Thank you, mister. Mister. My name's Bill Mainwood. Thank you, Mr Mainwood. Hornet Heaven Mr Mainwood Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace Earth Season 2002-2003 Twenty minutes after he died, Gary Carpenter stood in the bright eternal sunshine of Occupation Road and reflected on his new circumstances. Apparently, he'd just been told, he was in an afterlife paradise called Hornet Heaven. Apparently, he could carry on going to every new Watford game in future and go back to any Watford game in the past. Apparently, he would be spending the rest of eternity in a friendly community of fans and former players. He didn't believe it, not for a moment. He clutched his hands to his face. He had to be dreaming this. He couldn't be dead. He was only 34. And if he was dead, why couldn't he still have access to everything else in his life apart from the football? It wasn't fair. If he hadn't thrown himself so hard into supporting Watford when he was a kid to escape his dad's violence, he wouldn't have ended up in such a ridiculously one-dimensional afterlife. It was all his dad's fault. And what was the point of Hornet Heaven anyway? There wouldn't be any new games to watch because the club had lost all their money, thanks to ITV Digital and Gianluca Viali. Watford Football Club was about to cease to exist. What was the actual point? 21 minutes after he died, Gary Carpenter was deep into four of the five stages of grief. Hello? Um, hello? Are you Gary? I heard you'd arrived. Gary recognised the voice instantly. Through his fingers he saw a man in his seventies with white hair and glasses wearing a white janitor's coat. Gary lowered his hands in amazement. Bill Mainwood, what are you...
I prefer Mr Mainwood, actually, for old time's sake, Gary. But I hadn't heard you'd passed on. Oh, no. It's so sad you died. Thank you. I'd say the same to you, Gary. But once you've settled into the swing of things in Hornet Heaven, it's not sad at all. It's super. Well, that's actually pretty useful to hear right now. And it's true. It's wonderful to see you again, Gary. You've grown a lot since we first met. You were, what, six? That's right. I can't believe you remember me. I mean, you must have had so many people browsing programmes in your hut over the years. You sold me my first ever programme, you know. Oh, that's nice. Have you been to the hut yet? Here in Hornet Heaven? It's further up the slope on the gravel. It's where everyone gets their programmes for going through the ancient turnstile to matches. Could you take me there? I need to get my bearings. Arriving in a place like this is quite a lot to deal with, to be fair. It'll be good to have someone like you show me the ropes. It'll be my pleasure. Follow me. As they strolled up Occupation Road, Gary's new afterlife guide asked if there had been any developments down on Earth since the last Watford game. It had been a three-all draw, a home to Crystal Palace, with goals from Neil Ardley, Micah Hyde and Ida Helgerson. Yeah, and not good developments, Gary answered. Last night, the club announced they need to raise £9.5 million pounds or they'll go out of business. They want the players to take pay cuts. Oh, I'm sure the players will agree. Now Viali's gone, and now we've got rid of those horrible mercenaries Vega and Blondo and Issa and Hughes, we've got a squad of very decent human beings, Gary. There's Robbo, Coxie, Micah, Hyder and little Tommy Smith. It feels like we've got our club back. And I love Ray Lewington. He's a proper manager. So you think the club can pull through the crisis? I always see the bright side of things, Gary. Yeah, I know. You were always so positive with me. You always used to say... No, wait. Whoops, <laughs> that's embarrassing. What's embarrassing? Nothing. Look, here we are, the hut. This is where I first met you, Bill. Mr Mainwood, if you don't mind. <laughs> oh, right, fair enough. April 1974 it was, Mr Mainwood. A totally forgettable nil-all draw at home to Blackburn. But I always remembered how kind you were to me. It meant a lot because, well, things weren't great at home. That's why I... Go on. No, it's... It really is embarrassing. Better out than in, Gary. After all, we're going to be sharing the same heaven for the rest of eternity. You can't leave me wondering what... OK, but why don't we chat about it at a match? I can't wait to find out what it's like being able to go back to an old game. Lovely idea. Any particular match in mind? Um... Well, I'll be able to explain things better if we go to a game from the years when I had the problem. Yeah. Let's do that. Gary went into the hut to get two copies of the programme they'd need to go through the ancient turnstile to the historic match. Inside he saw a 13-year-old boy in 1920s school uniform who seemed to be running the hut. Gary introduced himself and learned the boy's name was Derek Garston. 
Gary told Derek which match he wanted. Oh, and uh, make it two copies of the programme, please, Derek. I'm going to a game with Bill Mainwood. Who? Mr Carpenter, sir? You know, the guy from the programme hut. I'm the guy from the programme hut, Mr Carpenter, sir. I'm in charge here. I mean, the programme hut down on Earth. Oh, never mind. Derek handed Gary programmes to a wretched 3-0 home defeat against Peterborough United in Division 3 in April 1975. Gary thanked the teenager and went back out onto Occupation Road. Right, Mr Mainwood. Ready? This is going to be amazing. My first old Watford match in Hornet Heaven. And you're taking me, Gary. I feel honoured. Thank you. They stepped onto the open Vicarage Road terrace. It was amazing. It was mind-blowing for Gary to be back inside the ground, experiencing it the way it was in 1975 when Watford was sinking into the fourth division. Just as he remembered, there was a smell of tobacco and disillusionment. On an overcast day, just 5,785 people were dotted around a shabby stadium whose empty greyhound track mercifully distanced them from Watford's unconvincing football. Gary headed for the spot where he'd always stood as a boy. On the way, he pointed at the white electric scoreboard at the top of the terrace behind the goal and said, See that advert on the scoreboard? Never a quarrel, bet with coral. When I was seven, I used to shout that down the stairs every time I heard my dad shouting at my mum in the kitchen. Oh, it didn't make them stop, though. <laughs> you say that like you were there, but yeah, I suppose as strategies go, it was pretty naive, doomed to failure. They ducked under some yellow and black crush barriers and stopped halfway up the terrace. Gary spotted his seven-year-old self. He was bouncing on his toes, cheering the team on. His dad was there too, sitting on the step a few feet away, reading the sun, occasionally swearing at Gary to stop squealing. That's my dad. I remember. You do? He was a horrible man. I hope you don't mind me saying that, Gary. No, not at all. It helps. You've always helped me. You see, here comes my embarrassing confession. The thing is, my dad used to hit my mum. And he hit me too. I had to hide from him at home. I'd shut myself in my room and wish things could be better. Do you remember, at my first match, you gave me a programme with a photo on the front of Barry Endine scoring the winner for Watford against Liverpool? Well, in 1974 and a few years after that, I spent hours in my bedroom drawing more Watford players doing the same thing. I drew the players I was watching every week. After this game here, I drew our number 10, him, Brian Greenlaw, scoring against Liverpool. Brian Greenall, scoring at all. What an imaginative child you were. But that's not embarrassing, Gary. You were just... No. The embarrassing thing is... Gary looked down at his feet. OK. Here we go. After you were so kind to me at the programme hut of my first match, I... Yeah, this is really embarrassing. Though, to be fair, I didn't have much kindness in my life in the 1970s. Anyway, while I was hiding from my dad in my room and doing my drawings, I used to have conversations with you. Imaginary conversations. 
You were my imaginary friend. Gary waited for a reaction, but none came. I did always call you Mr. Mainwood, so you ought to be pleased about that. I was a very polite boy. Gary looked up now. He was expecting ridicule, but what he saw was exactly what he'd imagined as a child. He saw Mr. Mainwood nodding sympathetically. Gary took courage and carried on. We were always talking, me and imaginary you. We talked for hours, everywhere. On the way to school, in my wardrobe, under my bed. You always said the right thing. You told me things would improve. <laughs> and was I right? Tell you what, this game's terrible. Let's move on to another one and I'll tell you. They arrived at a match from almost exactly a year later. It was at home to Swansea City in April 1976. This was Luther Blissett's first start for Watford. He scored his first goal. So you drew him scoring against Liverpool when you got home? That's right. How do you... OK, predictable, I suppose, for a disturbed kid. And, of course, Luther did score against Liverpool when we got to the top division seven years later. Didn't I tell you he would? Yeah, you did. They walked across the Vicarage Road Terrace and found young Gary, now eight years old, in the usual spot. Oh, your dad's not here this time. He was always walking out on us. He spent most of 1976 shacked up with a barmaid in Bushy. I used to come to games on my own. Well, not quite on my own. Gary pointed to the younger version of himself. Do you see I'm talking to someone? Well, I can see your lips moving, but there's no one nearby. Were you talking to me? I'm actually chatting with an imaginary eight-year-old grandson of yours. Sounds daft, I know, but I wanted to go to games with a friend my own age, who'd be as kind and positive as you. He had white hair, the same as you, which was a bit odd for an eight-year-old, thinking about it now. I called him Arthur. Arthur, eh? I hope you didn't name him after today's number ten, Arthur Horsfield, or Arthur Cart Horsefield, as some people called him. <laughs> uh, I don't remember how I chose the name. He was a great mate, though, your grandson. Very kind and very understanding. Completely unlike an eight-year-old in real life. He was a proper chip off the old block, Mr Mainwood. Next, they went to a match on almost exactly the same day, another two years later, April 1978, at home to South End. The Watford squad, in yellow anoraks, was doing a lap of honour around the Greyhound track as champions of Division 4. The crowd was just under 19,000, and the Vicarage Road terrace was jam-packed, making ten-year-old Gary much harder to spot. But the two men found him. Things had got a lot better in my life by this stage, Mr Mainwood. My dad had moved out, and I never saw him again. Also, my mum had started dating this really nice man who became my stepdad. And Graham Taylor had turned up at Watford and made us champions straight away. Ah, oh, good old GT. Yeah, GT was good for me, just like you were. But he wasn't imaginary. I read every word he said in the Watford Observer. He had such a clear view of the world, 
what was right, what was wrong. Having him as Watford manager was like having the best dad ever. So, you didn't really need me anymore. Yep. After this game, at home in my bedroom, I said goodbye to you. And to Arthur. Gary noticed his companion was wiping a tear from his eye. Are you okay? Yeah? Good. I mean, it's nice you find my story moving. That's typically you. Or the man I always imagined you are. Well, it's a sad story overall. With a happy ending, though. Because things definitely got better for me. And Watford's story after this was anything but sad thanks to GT. I can't wait to go and watch both his eras again. It'll help me forget about the club going out of business down on earth if we can't find nine and a half million pounds in the next few weeks. Gary stood and watched the players finish their lap of honour in front of the Match of the Day cameras in 1978. You know, Mr Mainwood, I'm starting to feel really good about being in Hornet Heaven. Back on Occupation Road, in the eternal sunshine, in the present day of September 2002, Gary said, so that's enough about me. What about you? You should take me to some games that show how important Watford was in your life down on earth. Oh, um, no. There's no need for that. But I don't really know anything about you. I only know a version of you that I made up in my head from meeting you in the programme hut. There's nothing else to say. Come off it. Stop being so modest. You were an absolute icon at this club. You inspired so many young kids to become programme collectors. No, I think that's enough games for today, thank you. There's no need to rush anything. We'll be seeing plenty of each other for the rest of eternity. Go and watch all those wonderful GT years again. You'll absolutely love it. Bill walked away down the slope. Gary watched him go, unsure why the old man seemed so down. Then he went into the programme hut to return the programmes to Derek Garston. Here you are, Derek. Thanks for the programmes. Bill Mainwood turns out to be a lovely man in reality. Derek's soft forehead creased into a frown. Would you please stop coming into my hut and going on about Bill Mainwood, Mr Carpenter, sir? This is my hut, Mr Carpenter, sir. Mine! Derek got on with serving the next customer. Meanwhile, another man, who'd been browsing programmes from the 1880s, came over and spoke to Gary. Bill Mainwood, did you say? He was very much after my time down on earth, but I've heard lots of the new arrivals talk about him. He's a bit of a legend down there. Was a legend, you mean? And he'll become one in Hornet Heaven too, now he's up here. What? Bill's not here yet. Ha! We'll all know when a club icon like Bill Mainwood arrives in Hornet Heaven, old thing. By the way, we haven't been formally introduced. I'm Henry Grover. I'm the man who founded Watford Rovers in 1881, the father of the club. Delighted to make your acquaintance, old chap. On his first day in Hornet Heaven, Gary didn't feel he should contradict such an important-sounding figure in club history. Instead, he fell into easy conversation with this man that he'd never heard of before. Henry talked enthusiastically about the 1881 kick-around in Catterbury Park that brought the club into existence and the first ever competitive match, in the FA Cup no less, in October 1886. Gary was bowled over. He thanked the father of the club, left the hut 
and stood outside in the bright sunshine of Occupation Road. After his time with Mr Mainwood, putting together the pieces of his troubled childhood, and now hearing from Henry the sort of discoveries that lay ahead of him, he felt totally ready for all the possibilities of his new existence in Hornet Heaven. Three hours after he died, 34-year-old Gary Carpenter had made it into the fifth and final stage of grief. Acceptance and hope. Gary went on to love his first weeks in Hornet Heaven. A couple of days after he arrived, news reached the afterlife that Watford's players had taken a pay cut. After that, the team won five of the next six games. They were no longer the disinterested shambles that Gianluca Viali had so expensively assembled. The team were organised and committed. They cared, and Lloyd Doyley, in his second season, seemed to have made the right-back slot his own for years to come. The old games weren't bad either. Gary enjoyed mixing things up, so he did a bit of reliving the first Taylor era, a bit of discovering the 1959-60 season, and a lot of exploring the early days of Watford Rovers in the company of Henry Grover, who turned out to be great value. In November, Watford's form fell away, but Gary didn't mind too much. He was still enjoying the team's new spirit. On November the 30th, he went to a 2-1 home win over Burnley, and there was a moment that had him on his feet and hollering with joy. Burnley crossed from the right, and their unmarked striker took a shot. The ball deflected off Chambo's hands to where Neil Cox was standing on the goal line. Coxey stopped the ball with his chest. Then, as Burnley strikers closed in, Coxey leapt and scissor-kicked the ball over his own bar to safety. It was unconventional, spectacular and, frankly, bonkers. And it perfectly captured what Gary had always loved about Watford ever since Graham Taylor first arrived. The day after the Burnley match, Gary went with Henry Grover to another Watford Rovers game. It was the inaugural fixture at the West Hart Sports Ground at Casio Road in September 1890. It was quite an event. It was a hot, sunny day and the occasion had the air of a summer fete. 500 spectators basked in the sun and strolled along well-gravelled walks to music provided by the town band. A tent had been erected for the players before the game and the field of play had been staked out and roped round. A members-only enclosure had also been roped round with chairs provided and it was here that Gary and Henry sat together. Gary thought it was class. He'd never watched Watford from the director's box before and this was the 1890 equivalent. Even better, he'd never watched football in the company of Earls of the Realm. The Earl of Essex was there, having popped across the road from his Casabri estate, and the match started with a ceremonial kick-off by the Earl of Clarendon, whose family seat was the Grove, just beyond Casabri. Gary scanned the Rovers' line-up. He recognised some of the players he'd already watched and had now met in Orney Heaven. Out on the field were the three sergeant brothers, Alec, Alf and Freddy, and Charlie Peacock, who'd taken part in the original Casabri Park kick-around with Henry Grover. Gary reckoned he was getting the hang of this afterlife business. He sat back and enjoyed the rumbustuous football. When it got to half-time, Watford Rovers were 1-0 up against ATB Dunn's 11. Gary stood up to stretch his legs. Suddenly, 
he noticed a boy running away on the other side of the members only ropes. His eye was caught by the fact that the boy had white hair like an old man's. It bothered him. Gary excused himself to Henry and chased after the boy. Hey, stop! The boy did stop. He turned round. He looked about eight years old. He looked crestfallen. That's blown it. Grandad told me to make sure you didn't spot me. Gary recognised the face from 25 years ago. You're Arthur. You're Bill Mainwood's grandson. Mr Mainwood's, that's right. But how's it even possible? I made you up. You were a figment of my imagination, an imaginary friend. What are you doing in Hornet Heaven? I died. What? You're a dead, imaginary friend. How does that work? Same as for everyone else in Hornet Heaven. I was a Watford fan, so I came here when I died. But I only imagined you as a Watford fan. Jeez, this is doing my head in. And why were you trying to make sure I didn't see you? Grandad and I have been keeping an eye on you to make sure you're settling into Hornet Heaven, but we, uh, we didn't want to bother you. Gary rubbed his head at the whole thing. He was being asked to believe that the souls of imaginary Watford fans can enter the afterlife. He'd be bumping into Gladys Prothero next. I say, Gary, old thing. He turned and saw Henry had followed him. Are you feeling all right? Who are you talking to, old thing? What? Oh, this is Arthur. But I don't see anyone, old thing. You've been talking to thin air. Arthur said, I can't see or hear me, Gary. You imagined me, so only you can see and hear me. You poor old thing, Gary. You must be suffering heat stroke. Let me go and find you a cooling drink, old sausage. Henry went off, and Gary tried to figure out what was going on. It now dawned on him, from what Arthur had said, that the Bill Mainwood he'd met in Hornet Heaven wasn't the actual Bill Mainwood. It must be his old imaginary friend, Mr Mainwood, now deceased. So the real Bill Mainwood isn't in Hornet Heaven yet? Gary asked Arthur. He's very old, apparently, but yes, he's still down on Earth. Right. Um, is your grandad, your dead imaginary grandad, somewhere at this game? He's back in the main part of Hornet Heaven. Why? Because I feel exactly like when I was a kid. I need a heart-to-heart -heart talk with Mr Mainwood. Gary sat on a bar stool opposite Mr Mainwood, his deceased imaginary friend. They were in the Red Lion pub. On the walls were posters and newspaper clippings documenting the former glories of Watford Football Club, but the fixtures and fittings were all a bit grotty around the edges. Yes, Mr Mainwood explained. I've been in Hornet Heaven since the evening of that 1978 South End game when Watford were champions of Division 4. You didn't need me any more, Gary. That night you said goodbye to me and to Arthur and we disappeared from the land of the living. We suddenly found ourselves up here. To be fair, watching Watford has been brilliant. The two Graham Taylor eras have been wonderful. So, that's nearly 25 years you've been here, invisible to everyone else. I must admit, 
It's been a little lonely at times, but things seem to be picking up. A few weeks ago, when I heard you'd arrived in the afterlife, I felt I had a purpose again. I could help you find your feet, just like I did when you were a boy. But I'm 34 years old. I don't need imaginary friends. I know. That was obvious to me after we went to those games together on your first day in Hornet Heaven. I'm sorry if I seemed a little sad afterwards. The good thing, though, is that you've settled in so well. Then why have you been following me around? In case you need me. And why have you been keeping out of my sight? In case you don't need me. You see, if you don't need me, and you decide to say goodbye to me again, well, I expect I'll disappear all over again. And who knows where I'll end up this time. So I thought I'd better keep out of your way. Gary clutched his hands to his face, exactly as he'd done when he first arrived in Hornet Heaven. Oh, God, this is seriously freaking me out. Mr. Mainwood looked at Gary. Solemnly, he said, Yes, I feared this might happen. I've become the problem. He adjusted his glasses. He swallowed. Gary, you need to say goodbye to me. What? I can't do that. I can't kill Bill. I can't kill Bill again. But I'm not Bill. I'm a coping mechanism. Down on earth, you created me to make your childhood bearable. Up here, I helped you bed into your new environment. But I'm clearly not coping. Having an imaginary friend is a psychopathic disorder, isn't it? If you ask me. It's just another way of dealing with things. There are loads of different ways. I mean, it was a coping mechanism when you started caring so much about a football team's ups and downs as a proxy for your own life. Is that a psychopathic disorder? When it's Watford, it often feels like it. <laughs> and another coping mechanism, of course, is believing in an afterlife to help deal with the idea of death though that one actually turns out to be true, obviously. What I'm saying is, Gary, everyone needs to find their own ways of getting through life, however it suits them. Gary was starting to feel better for what Mr Mainwood was saying. So, it's time for you to get on with your afterlife without me and without Arthur. Gary lowered his hands. He saw that Arthur had sat down next to Mr Mainwood. Say goodbye to us, Gary. You're doing wonderfully well in Hornet Heaven and we're obviously holding you back. It's time for us to go. But... But where will you go? I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe because we're only imaginary we'll just stop existing. But think of it this way, Gary. We helped you... And now that you're happy in your heaven, you can help others. Look out for people who might be struggling. Carry on our work. Can you do that for us? Gary stared at Mr Mainwood and Arthur, who was nodding his agreement at what his granddad had said. Gary thought back to how he'd been feeling in his first half hour in Hornet Heaven. Future new arrivals might find themselves going through the same grief process. He could be a friend to them, a real friend. 
He told Arthur and Mr Mainwood, I can do that. You've shown me the way. Thank you, Gary. But it was actually you showing yourself because you were doing the imagining. Mr Mainwood grasped Arthur's hand in readiness. Goodbye, Gary. Goodbye, Gary. Gary composed himself and, for the second time in his life, said, Goodbye, Mr Mainwood. Goodbye, Arthur. The two white-haired figures opposite him started to fade. They lifted their hands in farewell and disappeared. Thank you, Mr Mainwood. The next day, the Monday, Gary spent the morning waiting on Occupation Road for any new arrivals that might need his help. He saw an old lady with a long knitted Watford scarf, but she didn't seem to be in grief at all. She ran up the slope to where her husband was running down the slope to meet her for the first time in years. Gary watched them merge in a mess of arms, scarves and tears. On the Tuesday, Gary helped an old Danish man who'd supported Watford on television in Denmark but had never been to Vicarage Road. He wasn't grief-stricken, he was thrilled to realise where he was. The only assistance he needed from Gary was to help keep Hornet Heaven's chief steward away from him. Lamper had made it very clear he didn't like foreigns. By the Thursday, no one knew it arrived for a couple of days, so Henry Grover suggested to Gary that they go and re-watch a one-all draw at Preston from three months earlier. Gary agreed, and happily watched Robbo become the season's top scorer so far when his cross trickled into the far corner of the net after Danny Webber dummied over it. Gary wasn't quite sure why Henry had selected this game to watch, but he did notice that Henry kept making purring noises while whispering something about red shorts. After the game, Gary and Henry emerged through the ancient turnstile back onto Occupation Road. Immediately they heard a commotion going on in the programme hut. Derek Garston came running out. Mr Grover, sir! Mr Grover, sir! Goodness, Derek! Whatever's going on? There's a horrible man in there causing trouble, Mr Grover, sir! Gary sensed this was his chance to help. It sounded as though a new arrival was struggling to adjust to his or her new environment. He asked, what seems to be the problem? The man marched in, Mr Carpenter, sir, and started trying to tell me how I should be running the hut, Mr Carpenter, sir. He's in there meddling with my cataloguing system, Mr Carpenter, sir. Meddling, sir. Gary told Derek and Henry to leave this to him. He went over to the hut and entered. Inside, sorting piles of programmes, was a white-haired man with glasses. He wasn't wearing a white janitor's coat, and he looked in his 90s rather than his 70s. But there was no mistaking him. I can't be dead. This has to be a nightmare. The stupid child doesn't know what he's doing with these programmes. It's going to take me the rest of eternity to get them sorted out. It was Bill Mainwood. The real Bill Mainwood. And he was plunging through the first four stages of grief. I mean... What's the point of having games to go to in your afterlife if the programme cataloguing system isn't... Hello, Mr Mainwood, Gary said. Bill Mainwood looked up, flustered. You won't remember me, but I remember you. I bought my first programme from you. You were really kind to me. 
Oh, was I? And I know how hard arriving in Hornet Heaven can be. When I first got here, I was in denial, I was angry, I was sad. Yes, I must admit I'm feeling all of those. Don't worry, though. Once you settle into the swing of things, Hornet Heaven's not sad at all. It's super. Golly, that's really rather useful to hear right now. Gary smiled. My name's Gary Carpenter, he said. It's a pleasure to meet you again, Mr Mainwood. Thank you, Gary. Nice to meet you too. But please, don't call me Mr Mainwood. Call me Bill. The End Mr Mainwood was written and produced by Ollie Wickham. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com. <laughs>